Pastor Xavier Reese with the only true barometer for life. We do not live by emotions, by feelings. We live through obedience to God's Word. The hope of the believer is not, I hope so. The hope of the believer is, I know so. I base it on the truth of God's Word, not my emotions. I know so, not I hope so. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Is it possible to speak these words from Scripture with any real hope and confidence? That's the discussion Pastor Xavier leads from his continuing study in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. So let's join him for today's Simple Truths as we begin with the text for today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. The message is entitled, Death and Sorrow of the Believer. Paul, having declared to the Thessalonians how they ought to walk to please God regarding the sexual purity of their life and brotherly love, now moves on to deal with the specific area of concern. Their concern was the relationship between the death of believers and the Lord's return. And he covers this from verse 13 through 18. Will they be included or excluded? Will they be at any disadvantage? This is their concern. Some had died since Paul had left them. And they were anxious as to the participation of the believers. They just didn't quite know. Often this passage is used for the rapture of the church. And it is not wrong in and of itself because it is clearly mentioned and directly to show the order of the raising of the dead and the living believer, in verse 17 specifically. But the direct central theme of this section is the relationship between the death of believers and the Lord's return, as well as the order of resurrection of the believer, those who have died in Christ and those who remain until the second coming. They were not asking whether there would be a resurrection. They knew there was going to be resurrection. They got saved through the message of the death and resurrection. They were not doubting the Lord's return to meet them in the air. Every chapter finishes with the Lord's return for His church. They were anticipating an imminent return of Jesus Christ, as chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 tells us of the times and the seasons. Now, every time Paul mentions... The Lord's return in this first letter, it deals with the Lord's return for his church. Chapter 1, verse 10, 219, 313, 415, 523. Everyone returning for his church. When we get into Second Thessalonians, we're going to center on Jesus returning with his church to the earth to set up the kingdom. So First Thessalonians for his church. 2 Thessalonians, with his church. Basic difference. Now, the apostle gives an entire section, if you look, to deal with the Lord's return for his church, giving it a greater emphasis in the second part of the epistle, the practical. From verse 13 all the way down to chapter 5, verse 11. An entire section. This is what he talks about. Verses 13 through 18, what happens to the dead believers at Christ's return. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. 
When will Christ return? Chapter 5, verse 4 through 11. How shall we live in view of His return? That's the three things he covers. Paul tells the Thessalonians three things about what happens to the believer at the return of Christ. Those who have died before His return in verses 13 through 18. We have the proclamation of hope in verses 13 and 14. We have the particulars in order, verses 15 through 17. And then we have the purpose of mind in verse 18. For our study, what we want to do is look at the proclamation of hope, which consists of three important truths in verses 13 and 14. Let me read these verses. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. These are the three important truths that Paul wants you to know about those who have died in Christ prior to his return. First, Paul did not want the Thessalonians to be ignorant concerning the state of their departed loved ones. That's the first part of 13. Very important. Secondly, the last part of 13... Paul did not want the Thessalonians to sorrow as others who have no hope. And then lastly, in verse 14, Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that Jesus will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. Real simple. But they need to understand. They don't have this information. Let's begin here with the first. Notice Paul did not want the Thessalonians to be ignorant concerning the state of their departed loved ones. First, the concern was to instruct them regarding their spiritual need. There are always spiritual needs. The minute you are born again, you're always growing in the Lord. Spiritual needs are met by the Word of God. Not by emotions, not by persuasion, but by the Word. Paul has told the Thessalonians in verse 8 that he did not need to write to them concerning brotherly love. For what? God taught them, right? But now, Paul is going to teach them something they had inquired about through Timothy as Timothy's return. Their concern was, we believe in Christ, we believe He rose from the dead, we believe we're going to be raised, but some have died. Where do they fit? Legitimate question. Nothing wrong with that. They're new Christians. Notice the state of their spiritual understanding was one word. Ignorance. It simply means not to know. Lack of understanding. Remember that Paul was only there three weeks. Acts 7, 2 and 10 tells us that. They were new believers who were attempting to make sense of their Christianity apart from their pagan religious beliefs. Which taught that the dead went down to the dark underworld from which they never returned. That's what the Greeks believed. For the Greek, the body was a prison. A prison of the soul. And one day the soul would be released. That should never be the concept of Christians. Regardless, listen to me, regardless of how your life ends, if you get a stroke, if you're bedridden, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is God who releases your soul and your spirit. We do not believe in assisted suicide. As long as there's breath in your body, there's a creator who will take care of you. Your body is not a prison. Your body is the temple of God. My father himself suffered a stroke and was there like that for about seven, eight months. I hated to see him like that. 
But his body was a temple of God. And God is the one who released him. Very important. Notice the phrase is often used in scripture to correct and instruct regarding spiritual truth. I do not want you to be ignorant. He tells the Romans in Romans 1.13 that he didn't want them to be ignorant about how often he planned on coming to them, but he had been hindered. So he informed them. He tells them in 1 Corinthians 12.1 that he did not want them to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. And he instructs them. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he tells them that he didn't want them to be ignorant about the dangerous peril that they were in. They even despaired of life, and they thought the Lord was taking them home. So that phrase is always used to instruct and illuminate and give information so that they can have a better understanding. Have you ever read the scriptures and you've read them over and over again, and all of a sudden one day the sucker just turns on? You go, whoa, where'd that come from? The Holy Spirit. But we can equally do it by not being diligent. In other words, willfully ignorant because we do not study. We do not give ourselves diligently to grow, develop, and mature. That's willful. Okay? The believer can be ignorant about spiritual understanding due to pride and self-dependence, thinking that you are smart enough. You've got academic degrees. You've got this and that. So I don't need to pray. I can just attack this like a math book, like a history book. And I mean, what the heck? That can keep me in ignorance. Remember the disciples didn't understand when Jesus kept saying, I'm going to go and die in Jerusalem? Because in their mind, they had the Jewish mind. They were expecting the age to come. They were in the present age. The age to come was the Messiah's age, where he would knock off the ruling empires and he would rule. So much so that James and John put their bid in, remember, with their mommy? You see, sometimes we can have our mindset in certain ways that are contrary to the scripture because we've got this screwy theology. We've got this man-made theology. Listen, let the Bible give you biblical theology, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Let it speak in its context. And if your theology does not match the Bible, then change your theology. It's just that simple. Let the scriptures be the authority. Now notice, secondly, the concern was to instruct them regarding those believers who had fallen asleep. The ones addressed... Our brethren, make sure you understand that. Those who had been born again of the Spirit of God, he's told us in chapter 1, verse 5. They were related to Paul because they were in the same family, the family of heaven. The counsel and instruction was to the believer. Why? Because a non-believer can't accept this. The non-believer has different opinions. The non-believer is religious, atheist, agnostic, but he's not a believer. Notice the ones they were concerned about were those who had fallen asleep, as we said. The ones who had fallen asleep were those who had come to Christ and now had died physically. Now, they had become followers of the apostles and the Lord through much affliction and enjoy the Holy Spirit. First 6 of chapter 1 tells us. They had turned to God from their idols to serve the living and the true God. Chapter 1 verse 9. They had been waiting for the Lord's Son to come from heaven. Chapter 1, verse 10. But they died. I'm waiting for the Lord. But if I get in a wreck when I leave here and I, and I get killed, I'm going to die before the Lord. But I'm waiting for Him. But I could die before He comes with this church. Notice the phrase, falling asleep. It means to lie down. We get our English word cemetery from it. It means a place of sleep. Literally, dormitories. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but that's what it is. 
The phrase is a common euphemism that is used throughout the Old Testament as well as the New. The phrase is obviously suggestive of the future awakening of the body at the resurrection. When someone falls asleep, you expect them to awake. The phrase has nothing to do with the soul or the spirit, only with the physical body. It's used for Lazarus in John 11, 11 to 13 when he died. It's used of Stephen when he was stoned in Acts 7:60. It is used of the believer who had seen the Lord after the resurrection and now had died in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. So it means physical death of the believer and the body sleeps, but not the soul. And not the spirit. In the church today, there are those who still believe in what is called soul sleep. That the dead believer, soul and spirit, is in an intermediate state. Sleeping until the resurrection. And the usual scriptures that are used are in the book of Ecclesiastes and Job's. The only problem with this is that Ecclesiastes, Solomon is backslidden and he's mixing truth with error. And in Job, God rebukes Job in Job 38, 1 through 3. Paul rejects soul sleep. Look at chapter 5, verse 10. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Whether we wake or sleep, whether we are alive or dead, we are with him. Does he believe in intermediate state? Soul sleep? Of course not. Not at all. The Thessalonians were not to be ignorant. Concerning the state of the departed loved ones. He hits them hard right at the beginning. Now notice secondly. The last portion of verse 13. Paul did not want the Thessalonians to sorrow as others who have no hope. The teaching is a contrast between the believer and the non-believer. Not a denial or prohibition of sorrow. Please understand that. Notice first their spiritual ignorance had resulted in sorrow. Here's the key. As others. Though they had expected Christ. To return and they had accepted him. They were Christians. They were going through the very same grief as a non-believer. Now, let me ask you a question. If you go through the same things as the non-believer, why should the non-believer be a Christian like you? If you flesh out like them, why should they become Christians? If they get all drunk, why should they become Christians if you do it? There has to be a difference between us people. Even in sorrow. Their mental, emotional, and physical language was heart-renting. The soul of man involves the mind, the emotions, and the will. You can't separate them. Look at the word sorrow. It means to distress, to be sad, to cause grief and heaviness with mental anguish. This was their ongoing condition. Who were they? Christians. You see, the Thessalonians, due to their lack of spiritual understanding about the state of the dead believers, were going through real turmoil, emotional and physical. What the Spirit knows about God, His promises and prayer that are available to the believer, is the solution for this perspective. I must know the Word of God so I do not let my emotions or Satan or people take my peace from what I know to be true. So I need to study. I need to know truth. You see, if you believe that you're, you're driving down the street. If you believe that it's possible that your radiator is going to blow up before you get home. And you really believe there's a good possibility. Let me tell you. You are anxious all the way home. And when you get home, you go, ah. 
So whether something is real or not doesn't matter. If you believe it's real, your mind, your emotions, your body goes through it. You ever have a dream? Man, you wake up sweating. It's real. Because your emotions are involved. You see? This was happening with the Christians. Though they were Christians. Just like the pagans. Notice secondly, the sorrow which is experienced by all others who are not Christians. Is one which has no hope regarding their dead loved ones. Underline no hope. Very clear. He makes a distinction. When the word is used in the positive, it communicates something of certainty. When the word is used in the negative, as here in our text, it is used something that will not take place. Paul is declaring this truth based on the scriptures. Listen. The hope of the believer is not, I hope so. The hope of the believer is, I know so. I base it on the truth of God's word. Not my emotions. We do not live by emotions, by feelings. We live through obedience. To God's word. Notice what Paul says about the scriptures in Ephesians 2.12. One of the darkest descriptions of man. He tells them that those who are not born again without Christ, they are aliens of the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Dark, dark, dark. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, this is you. God has brought you to turn the light on. To let you know that you're lost. You need to repent. You need to come to Him. So you can change your life. And you can have hope of eternal life. So the sorrow of the non-believer, notice, which lacks an expectant hope to see their dead loved ones with certainty, is not based exclusively on their emotional or mental grief of despair. But on the fact that they have no relationship to Christ as the scripture teaches. Because you and I grieve, and we'll get into that. But the difference is, we're Christians. It's different. And we'll show you that in a second. Notice also, their ongoing and continuous grief demonstrates that they, what they profess is mere speculation and religion, having no valuable comfort by and through God, for they serve idols, not the living God. Chapter 1, verse 9 says. The very way that people grieve will reveal whether they know God or not. Real simple. Now notice thirdly here. There is a sorrow which believers experience, but it is accompanied with the certainty of hope. Knowing we will see our loved ones again, if they were in Christ. The sorrow of the believer is experienced as the non-believer. Mentally, emotionally, and physically. Because he or she will miss that loved one and their physical presence and company. My father died December the 8th, 1994. I have never loved anyone like I've loved my dad. Missed him tremendously. But I know that I'm going to see him again. Sometimes I drive down the street, I can hear him, I see his face, I see him, some of the silly things he did, I, I, I start laughing. Sometimes I, I, I think of this, that, and I cry. But it's not because I don't know where he's at. And it's not because I, don't know, I think I'm not going to see him. It's because I love him. I miss him. So there's nothing wrong. We're not stoics. Okay? Paul's not saying that. The sorrow of the believer is to be experienced for a legitimate time. But not a continuous grief for a long time, for years. 
This is making the contrast. Not as others. They were like others. David, remember, was praying for the child that was conceived through the adulterous relationship. He had been sick. He was seeking the Lord. He was not eating, doing nothing, not washing himself. The servants were afraid to tell him that he died. He says that the child died. They were afraid what he's going to do. If he's doing this now, what's he going to do if the child dies? He gets up, washes his hands, his face, begins to eat. They go, what the heck's wrong with him? David says, listen, while the child was alive, I pray that God might intervene and be merciful. But now the child is dead. The child will not return to me, but I will go to the child. Second Corinthians 12, 15 through 23. Did you get that? The child will not come to him, but he will go to the child. He knew where the child was. Listen, the believer's hope is based on the certainty of God's promises in the scripture. It is hope based on the resurrection. It is called good hope. It is the hope of eternal life. It is sure and steadfast hope. It is identified as a better hope. It is a living hope. It is all summed up in Christ, who is the blessed hope and the hope of glory. Titus 2.13 and Colossians 1.23. Our hope is tied up in Christ. He died. He rose. That's my hope. I know so. Not I hope so. Theocritus, the Greek writer, says this. Hopes are among the living, but the dead are without hope. But on the catacombs of Callistus is written this. Alexander is not dead, but he lives above the stars and his body rests in the tomb. There you have the contrast. Between those who sorrow without hope and those who sorrow with hope. There's a difference, people. You can be a Christian, and if you do not know what the Bible says about the available comfort, that there is for believers, then you will respond the way you understood life before regarding to your culture, your religion, rather than the mind of the scriptures. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, which is proper for doctrine, correction, and instruction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. We need to know the word of God. It brings us back on track. If you don't know what the scriptures teach, we have seen examples of people resorting to wailing for the dead in an uncontrollable emotional manner, tearing up the coffin. I was born in Mexico City. I've seen many of those funerals like that. It demonstrates no hope. They remain in black for years. I remember living in Mexico. I see a lot of older women and, you know, I'd say, Mom, why is she in black? Well, her, her husband died. And they would remain for years, if not for life. And all they do is wear black. You will be broken inside when a loved one dies. Crushed. They will no longer be there to caress, to love, to kiss. But it's not because you don't know what happened or where they're at. And it's for a time. You will be able to articulate the message of hope to others as they see you having hope of eternal life. As they see your brokenness, but they see your strength. They see your mourning, but they see also the joy. And they say, what's your problem, man? And you're able to articulate, well, my hope is in Christ Jesus. This is not the end. I'm going to see them again. And you give them the gospel. You see, funerals are for the living, not for the dead. I love doing weddings and funerals, captive audiences. A great time to share the gospel. Pastor Xavier Reese and the hope of the gospel in all seasons of life. And you can find this program online to hear any portion you may have missed. 
Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still more to come, so don't miss our next study. If you won't be able to join Pastor Xavier, though, you can always pick up a copy of this message. The title to ask for is Death and Sorrow of the Believer, and it's available on CD for only $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. Once again, the title to ask for is Death and Sorrow of the Believer, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. When is death a celebration? The answer to that question on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Don't miss it. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 